folks. Welcome to Time to Talk with Russell Hurd. Just had such a good hour and hour and a bit um, chatting to Russell Hurd from Review Visualise and also RJH Sports off uh, way, way, way up north. Thoroughly enjoyed it. The time just zipped by and we talked about um, Visualise, his passion for Visualise and also the grouse moors and grouse and uh, stalking and back to visualise and training and the nose and it was so enjoyable. I hope you enjoy it too. Get yourself a cup of tea, settle down for an hour and a bit and enjoy Time to Talk with Russell Hurd. Take care. Bye-bye. Hi folks, I'm with Russell Hurd from RJ Sports and Vishla, Vishla, um, Vishla, we've just been laughing because I've just been told how to pronounce uh, Vishla properly because I say Vishla and I've just been told that's completely wrong, you need to get this pronunciation right so I'm probably just going to call them the dogs from here on in. Um, so welcome Russell, it's the first time we've met, I'm so glad to have you on the podcast, thank you for coming along. That's fine Liz. Absolutely fine. Great. So um, I've seen a lot of your stuff on Facebook. I absolutely love the videos that you do of your dogs, uh, visualize up on the moors. And I couldn't resist getting you in because they just look absolutely stunning. Um, but I'd like to ask you how you got into that particular breed and what led you to do all of these amazing things that you do up in the Outer Hebrides. Um, purely by accident. Uh-huh. Totally by accident. Um, I, I moved up here. I mean, I won't go into the long in-depth story about how I got up here, but uh, I came up here through work, my wife, myself, uh, two boys, and um, I met quite a lot of gamekeepers. I was a, a manager of the abattoir down in Stoneaway, which is the main town in uh, on the Isle of Lewis. Um, it's got about 10,000 of the population in Stoneway itself. So it's quite a large town. People are quite surprised when they come here how, how big it actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I was I was manager there for just over 10 years. Um, that's what I'd done down in, in Lancashire prior to moving up. I'd left school gone working as an apprentice slaughterman in a, a small uh, family-run abattoir. Uh, so I met, I met quite a lot of gamekeepers that used to come into the abattoir for, for blood, which you could get back in the day. And uh, one, one lad in particular became very good friends with um, a keeper on Garin Hine Estate. And he came in and um, he used to take buckets of blood and tripe for his dogs and such and such. And uh, just they used the blood in the snipe bogs um, to encourage insects, which then brought in the snipe. Ah, I was going to ask you what they wanted to blood for. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's, that's, they used to do a lot of it in Ireland, but obviously under the new, back then the EU regulations permitted um, using blood um, for that kind of purpose. So we got became, became good friends and um, he asked me if I wanted to go beating on the, the Gary Nine Woodcock shoot, which is a, it's, it's a very famous um, premier woodcock, driven woodcock shoot in the UK, guys coming from all over the world to do it. Mm-hmm. So I started out beating there in the beating line and then uh, I progressed on to the end. Uh, I got promoted to work in the end of the line. 
um, keeping the guns in, in, in check and etc. And uh, he, he offered me a dog. He said, um, my yellow lab bitch is, is in pup. Do you want um, a pup offer? Um, sure, a cracking bitch was, was honey. A really nice, steady yellow lab. So I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll have that. So that was my first gun dog. Yeah, I mean, down in Lancashire, I had terriers. Um, I, had, I actually had American pit bull terriers. Okay. Yeah, um, I used to show them, and I'm very, very passionate about pit bulls. They, they have had a bad press. A really so you must be heartbroken for the dangerous dog act then. Yeah, well, we. We, we, uh, when the Dangerous Dog Act came in, we had three uh, pits, um, one bitch and two dogs, and we had to have the dogs neutered, mm-hmm. tattooed, couldn't take them out without a muzzle on them. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it, it was heartbreaking, really. Yeah. But luckily, where I lived down, down in Lancashire, we lived quite close to the canal, uh-huh. the Leeds and uh-huh. Liverpool Canal. So I could nip down onto the canal, and you can see see for miles on a canal bank, you know, so you could see if anybody were coming either way. So I'd just take the muzzles off and let the dogs have a, yeah. a mooch yeah. about on a play. And then uh, when we came up here, one of the dogs I couldn't bring with us. Um, I mean, she was absolutely fantastic with people, uh-huh. but uh-huh. she didn't like other dogs at all. Um, so unfortunately, we had to have her put to sleep before we came up. But we brought, um, we brought the big soft dog up with us. Um, and nobody knew what he was, so we just let him do his own thing. We didn't muzzle him, we took him on the beach, and oh, we're a big soft teddy bear, you know. Mm. And so, yeah, that, that, I don't, I've always had dogs since my mum and dad always had dogs. Um, I've always liked dogs, I've always liked watching working dogs, be it a terrier or a, a whippet, a greyhound, you know, and now good labs, good spaniels, pointers, setters. Mm. Uh, um, so yeah, they, it was the first. It was the first dog I, tra- uh, I, I managed to train. Mm-hmm. But it, mm-hmm. it turned out, um, although the mum were a, a yellow lab, the uh, sire turned out to have been a, a big black English pointer, which is quite unique in itself. Mm-hmm. But it belonged to one of Gary Nine's guests that had left it in the kennels. And uh, it got, got through the kennel to um, to have a night of passion with honey, <laughs> and unbeknown to the keeper, you know, he thought that because she stood again for a for another lab for a lab, and um, when these pups were born, they just looked like black labs. There were a couple of yellow ones, uh-huh. uh, and I think there were four black ones and two yellow ones, and I took uh, one of the black bitches, and she just had a white fleck down the chest. Uh-huh. That's why I called her Guinness. Uh, not original, but there you go. And as I said to you, you know, I started to train her in the traditional Labrador way, what I'd read in books, because that's all I knew. I'd, you know, I had no experience of training a Labrador, uh, training a gun dog. And um, yeah, slowly got, got all the basics in, which I still do to this day. Um, and then she started to do this strange stopping still and lifting a front paw thing up and uh, that's when I realized there was something just and I know people say Labrador's point and there I've seen Labrador's point yeah. um, and, and most dogs do point I mean it, it's part of that hunting process is the, yeah. is the reason yeah. the front paw 
yeah, I mean, it's it's just that hesitation before the pounce is the point, but man's man's just taken the point, the, the pounce, and turned it into the point for his own benefit. Um, and she started doing that. So I had a word with a keeper, and yeah, he, he was scratching his head as well because another three of them had turned out looking more like pointers than they did Labradors. And um, so that was it. I bought myself a book, and I think it were a book by David Hudson, Pointers and Setters, mm-hmm. which I think you can still get. It's a cracking book. You can. And, and um, I just went down that road, got a bit of advice off one or two people, and uh, she turned out to be an absolute belting dog, cracking dog. But she'd do everything. You know, you, should, you, you could take her on the moor for the grouse and... I could take her in the beating line, picking up on the woodcock shoots and also down on the saltings for the geese in an evening. She were, you know, ticked every, every box. For me. So um, when, when I finished at the abattoir, I got made redundant. Well, we all got made redundant in the abattoir. I'd been speaking to guests on the end of the line on the woodcock shoots uh-huh. because I had this idea in my head about starting up my own business which was in that was in 2003 uh-huh. and um, I spoke to guys on the edge of the line I said what do you, what do you think of this you know I'm, I'm thinking of starting up a business where people can come to the island for a couple of days shooting grouse over over dogs because um, back well even still now but it's not as much now but a lot of sporting agencies, they're only interested in taking full week rents. They, they, they prefer a party to take a, a, a lodge um, for a full week. Mm-hmm. Whereas I approached it at a different angle. What I wanted to do was offer two, three days with lower budget accommodation, B&B or a hotel or self-catering even. And, and that's the way I approached it. So I, I went and spoke to um, a couple of the estate owners on the island and said, look, you know, what do you think of this? And they just thought it was a great idea, you know, because predominantly the estates on Lewis uh, are mainly fishing first, mm-hmm. then stalking, mm-hmm. and then the, the shooting comes further down the list. Um, there's, only, there's only two estates, I can think of that actually have kennels with pointers and setters. Right. Um, the rest of them, you know, they don't bother. It means having a kennel of dogs, the the feeding of the dogs, the, uh, the the vet care of the dogs for 365 days for maybe, you know, a handful of shooting days. Yeah. So, um, you know, they don't, they don't do that. But some of these estates, you know, one of them I, I work with, it's 56,000 acres. You know, it's, it's massive. Um, and a lot of it is remote. You know, you, you've got to have fit guns to, to access a lot of the ground. Yeah. Um, so there they, they said, yeah, that's, that sounds like a great idea. You know, we welcome that. And um, so I started RGH Sports in 2003 with, <laughs> with one dog. And the lab? The, the bag, lab point across, yeah. And I used to, I used, I used to borrow an old English pointer off a pal of mine, uh-huh. uh, take her out, and yeah, obviously, I, 
we started off by sending out homemade flyers mm-hmm. to um, various shooting, fishing tackle shops around the north. Uh, and it, yeah, I can remember my first clients coming across and uh, I'll, I'll admit it, I admit it openly, first couple of years I winged it. I absolutely winged it. You know, I mean, I, I, I blagged my way through two years. Uh-huh. One, uh-huh. one dog and a borrowed dog. <laughs> uh, but something must have worked because, you know, people keep coming back and mm-hmm. they have been coming back. So going back to how I got into, into visualism, um, it came obvious I needed another dog. Mm-hmm. But I wanted a dog like Guinness that did everything. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, pointers, setters, yeah, I love them. But I wanted a dog that I could get to do everything. So I started looking around what different breeds. I didn't, you know, I didn't know about the HPR Umbrella. Uh-huh. Um, I started reading, oh yeah. So I, my dog Guinness is an HPR, even though she's yes. a lab cross. She does all, all the all the jobs. Uh-huh. So um, I looked at the, the GSPs and the, the wires and I was reading Shooting Times one day and uh, I came across an article on um, a use of a Scotland rugby captain, a guy called Rob Wainwright. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rob lives on the Isle of Col where he farms and he does, they have uh, a B&B there and um, he let shooting, he had um, some snipe shooting, woodcock shooting. Uh-huh. So I could diversification from the farming side. And uh, they, they were doing an article on Rob. And um, I was reading this and, and he had, I think he had two back then, two Hungarian Vichlers smooth. And I thought they just looked absolutely stunning. You know, I really mm. did like the look of these dogs and what he was saying about them. Um, so I st- set about then researching the breed. Um, and this was back in 2000 and when did I get Amber? I got Amber in 2002. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just after my operation we were talking about. Um, so I got Amber in 2002, but the problem I had, and I don't think it is a problem, but the problem I seem to be facing from, from what I'd read, was finding a Vishla that came from working stock uh-huh. rather than show stock. Yeah. I mean, when you see the English pointers, the setters, there's that definite divide between working and showing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at a red setter, an Irish red setter, and, and the one I have and the one that, you know, massive difference. Yeah. yeah. Now, with the Vishlas, it's not so different. You know, there, there's the standards for showing. Yeah, get all that. But what I think and what I think I've proved is that you can take a dog from a line that's not done a lot of work in. You know, it's no field trial champions, which are very few of anyway. Um, there's no you know, uh, trialing lines there at all. Mm-hmm. But I took this dog. I mean, it were hard work. I'll, I'll say that. I mean, she didn't come good till four. Mm-hmm. I had some real bloody challenges with her, some real, you know, standoff moments with her. Really? Uh, really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, you could take her out one day and, you know, I trained her. I did all the basics and, and I got her quartering and everything I'd read and she were absolutely brilliant. Uh-huh. 
But then the next day, she wouldn't leave your side. You know, it was a, oh, I can't be bothered. Yeah. No, I'm not, I'm not. So, talking about that, can I just ask, because I've never had a visual lab, but I've trained quite a few, you know, my classes. And yeah. I've always found the bitches to be on the prima donnaish side, you know, so it's like, oh, well, yeah. I don't want to do it today, and you can't make me, and that's the end of that. Yeah, yeah. Find that in them, or not some, or is it just the, the ones that I've trained? Uh, I, I'm going to say it's the way they're handled. I'm going to say it's the way they're brought up. Okay. Right. I I think I'm, I, I might be sticking myself out here to get absolutely slaughtered, no, no, no. but um, as far as I'm, I can see on, on, on you know on social media, what I've seen is I don't think people are hard enough on them. I think they let them get away with a lot. Yeah. yeah. Right? And it will come back and bite them in the backside. Yeah. So I tend to be the other way. You know, they're my best pals, but I am quite firm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they don't rule the roost at all. No. They know exactly how far they can go. Yeah. And I think what I probably did with Amber was I was too soft with her. Right. Um, and and yeah, I mean, she was my best pal, but I were too soft. One day she'd be world class, the second day, you know, she didn't give a toss, and you know, she'd rather be sat at home in front of the fire. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, it, it, it was really getting me down was this because this were nearly four year old, uh -huh. and, uh -huh. and and you know, I were taking guests out, and thankfully Guinness was still, you know, pretty pretty lively. Mm -hmm. So she would get me out of the hall when Amber wasn't uh, performing. Yeah. yeah. So I, I got to the end of my tether with her, and um, I'd met uh, a gentleman called Peter O'Driscoll up on the island. He'd come up. But, I mean, Peter's very well known in the in the pointer set of the word. He he, he trains dogs as well. And I'd met Peter. Um, he was up here fishing, and I'd I'd said to him about this problem I was having with Amber and he said well it's strange that he said I've had one through my kennels exactly the same I said all right yeah he said, I said well what did you do he said well what I did was um, I took her out in the car and or in the truck and he said I just left her in the back of the truck in the cage so she could see everything going on and I took another dog out ah. and he said the jealousy Mm -hmm. So much that it just seemed to snap it right out of it. So as soon as I got back to the house, I tried that and it worked. It absolutely worked. It sorted her head out completely. Mm -hmm. And I had then, I mean, Amber lived till she was 17. Good grief. Yeah. It's really old. And, yeah, it's a good age. And on the Monday, she was still coming out. I couldn't leave it, honestly. I mean, it, it's even with all my dogs, you know, if if they see me with a tie, it used to be just the breeks, but now if they see me with a tie in my hand, they're doing somersaults. Yeah. yeah. It was the same. And we used to, I used to take her out and, and she just used to bumble about, you know, she'd do her own thing. She used to infuriate me, you know, she'd run in and put, well, bumbling on point she stopped running when she got to 17. <laughs> uh, she, she'd never in all her life she had never backed another dog never she had no respect 
for any other dog apart from herself. Mm -hmm. so if there were a dog on point, she had to be, even if it were just an inch, her nose or an inch in front of the other dog, she were happy. Okay. Yeah, that would just, that's you know, mine. And on the Monday, she was out. On the Tuesday morning, we used to let her come up when, when um, Jane would go down, make a cup of tea in the morning, and Amber would come up and jump on the bed. Uh -huh. and, um, you know, just brushing my teeth or something. She'd, get, she'd let out with this horrible owl as she tried to jump on the bed, and her back end just went completely. Oh. So I got hold of the vet and told him, took her in. And he said it was neurological more than muscular or um, skeletal. Uh, so we just kept an eye on her for two days, but she stopped eating and that were it. Just made the decision, you know. But yeah, yeah, she was two days off 17th birthday. Was that? Still, yeah. And she's, there's a, there's a beautiful video. Of, it's actually a clip off that film, Dog Days in the Hebrides. Mm -hmm. Um where there's a load of, there's a hen grouse running about in front of her with her chicks. You can see the, 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 the grass blowing in the wind, it's gorgeous. And she's, her body's that way, but her head's pointing to the right, uh -huh. uh, indicating where the wind direction's coming from. And that, that's Amber. I mean, she, she was just, she could work grouse and woodcock just for fun. You know, it was just effortless to watch it. Uh -huh. Watch it. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, that's that's what got me into uh, into the visuals. We're seeing Rob Wainwright with these these ones down in Col. Uh, and my first one, I, f I found it. It might have been on one of. It could have been on the the Visual Society website. This litter advertised, and it were a gentleman down at uh, Scoon, mm -hmm. just outside Scoon Palace, and. Um, Oh, he, he sent me everything. He sent me the, the pedigree, he sent me, you know, all the, the, the vet checks and everything had been done. And so we went down and had a look and he just got two, two bitches left. Uh -huh. And um, I went down and I, I picked Amber. And um, yeah, and that was it. And there was no, he'd done a lot of showing. And, and the, only, the only work that Amber's mum had done was that she picked up on a, a local shoe. And that was it. You know, you, you look look back through a pedigree and, you know, there's all the, you know, the old stalwarts from the 70s pop up in a pedigree. Um, but there's nothing, you know, what would indicate that she's come from a, a serious working background. Craig, you bred from her, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was my, I bred off of, I bred off, I think she was about, five i think she was because i only ever take one litter and i only breed for my own replacements uh -huh. I don't, you know I, 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 I mean i've been i could make a lot of money doing it but i refuse to mm -hmm. i mean i've got people sending me messages now wanting to use one of my dogs for stud and i've just said no it's not happening um mm -hmm. so i only breed for my own replacements and um we bred off amber and we kept two of the pups. She only had five, mm -hmm. is that right? So we, we kept Poppy and Copper. And then, yeah, one, two, three. Yeah, she only had five. We kept two and three went to, to um, family homes. There were none, none of them working. 
of Amber's litter. Mm-hmm. So that, that was fine, happy with that. And then out of that, I got Poppy and uh, Poppy and Copper, and they were totally different. I was shooting over Poppy at 18 months old. She was, she's now 12. She's the one. I, she's she's the one I got in touch with you. Okay. Which brought us to, to to meet each other, and I got. Uh, she was shooting over her at 18 months old. Her and her brother. Wow. And, Honestly, Les, what a dog. What a dog she's been. Anybody that's seen her, shot over her, um, would just, yeah, they, they back me up 100%. I mean, that dog is, every day I took, the, took her out, she would amaze me. Um, yeah, brilliant, brilliant dog. And so she's a great muzzled one in the video that you got out now. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's the one in that video, the one that's, had all the hits and keeps popping up now and again. Um, she's the one at the front, and that's her three pups right. that, I, that I kept from her. So she had she had six pups. We kept three: a dog and two bitches. And one of them, a friend of mine on the islands, got. Mm-hmm. And he works. He's he's done a cracking job with her. She's a great little bitch. And then the other two went to. Pet homes. Um, so, did you bring Tom? Um, no, we've we as last litter we've um, which were born last July, so they're a ten month old now. That was a complete mistake. It was um, I bred off a bitch that I weren't going to breed off, um, not intentionally, mm-hmm. and she's been caught. And she's produced this litter now, this litter of six, which probably the best pups I've ever bred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't want to breed off her because she had a problem with her her elbow. Mm -hmm. And we we had her x-rayed and it had arthritis. And we couldn't tell if it was a genetic thing or if it was um, um, an injury. Yeah. So I took the decision. She's a stunning-looking bitch as well, but I took took the decision that I weren't going to breed from her. I was going to breed off the other bitch that I'd kept. I had a, a sire all lined up down in, in Lancashire as well, ready to go. And then this happened. We'd absolutely no idea she'd been caught. I mean, I'm, I would say I'm pretty thorough, you know, keeping things how they should be. Mm-hmm. And we didn't know she were pregnant until she was three weeks from giving birth, believe it or not. Wow. I know, I know, I know. And um, anyway, obviously then it's too late and she had this litter. And honestly, they're they're absolutely stonking pups, they really are. Um, But on the basis of that, we decided that we'd keep all six. (laughs) So I know. So we've got one of them's gone to my daughter, uh-huh. and she she's pretty good with dogs. And I could also I can also train that up as well. Mm-hmm. And the other five, one dog and four bitches, um, we've kept on. But that's it now. No more. No more. No more. I'm done. So I don't. I'm not a HPR person. I seem to be surrounded by HPR people at the minute, which is I don't know. Visual people, especially. I don't know how it happened. Um, but I'm really fascinated on how you go about training them. So 
Mm. You, you know, I mean, I've got a spaniel and I've trained um, different breeds and I would always start with a retrieve and then the hunt. And then I, if they wanted to do, you know, pointing yeah. work with dog, I would send them to a HPR specialist. But I know it's always retrieve, hunt, and then you develop the point, isn't it? Because it's intrinsic behaviour. It's not something that you can go to your dog, lift your paw up and, and point. It's got to be in there, hasn't it? It's got to be part it of the intrinsic yeah. So how do you go about training your puppies? Because... I see a lot of stuff on Facebook. Is yeah, I that's my yeah. God, Facebook isn't it wonderful? Mm. There's people using the Lula, you know, where they've got like the flight poles and stuff, and a lot of the people who are using them aren't necessarily from the gun dog world, and they're just like flicking a wing around, and and I sit there in horror and go, well, but I don't know enough about training HPRs to put my voice out there so how do you go about you know you're an expert trainer how do you go about training your pups and do you use like a lure or a flight pole or yeah well what what i do is now i must you know before i go any further i've got to say i ain't i'm no expert gun dog trainer right i'm i'm just somebody that i'm just somebody that can get a dog to do what i want the dog to do okay right <laughs> I'm not, I don't have any letters, I don't have any, you know, I have no, ex, I can't claim to be a, a gun dog trainer, right? But I can get dogs to do what I want a dog to do. Okay. So I do that thing that horrifies you with a, a bird's wing on a fishing pole. Uh-huh. How do you do it? It's, it's, it's the timing, isn't it? It's how you it's, do it, that's the important bit. It's, it's the timing. So I do it when they're about six, seven, eight weeks. Uh -huh. right? So what, what I'm doing is I'm awakening the pointing instinct. Uh -huh. Okay, that's what I'm doing. Um, and what has become quite apparent over the three generations I've bred is that instinct's got stronger and stronger and stronger. Okay, the, the, the bitch, uh, Poppy, I bred her with a puppy that I bought from a breeder in Skye. Uh -huh. um, now we went we went down to um, we went down to Sky with Poppy when she was standing uh -huh. to, to to make it with this dog. Uh, that's another long story. I haven't got time for that. But uh, I went down to to use this dog in Sky, and as it turned out, this dog in Sky was I think there's only one. There's only one dog that appears in the sire's pedigree that appears in Poppy's pedigree. So I totally, totally outcrossed. Totally outcrossed. Uh -huh. uh, uh -huh. Didn't know what I was letting myself in for, but stuck by stuck my by my belief that you can take a dog with very little working blood in it and get a finished product. Yeah, yeah. And it'll hunt for you. Um, so we we totally. Outcrossed with, with Bali, um, and then I was gonna, yeah, totally outcrossed with Bali, and then got them back. That was fine, and that was the litter I've bred the last litter off with that mix. So they produced the five pups with right. Bali, right. with Bali. Um, and then lost my train of thought there. Yeah, going back to the fishing line, the fishing rod. So you get your you get your wing with your with your fishing rod, 
-huh. And it's all, as you said, it's about timing. So four, five, six, seven weeks old when they're, you know, you're, you're very impressionable. Uh -huh. A little, you know, you, you can more or less then mold them where you want them to go. I'd get them in the garden and I'd start throwing the, the fishing line around with a wing on it. And it's all done by it's all done by sight then, the pointing by sight, obviously, not by scent. Um, and it's keeping them keeping them in the standing position, in the pointing position, as long as possible. You know, you'll get out of a litter, you'll you'll get one that wants to run in. So if he breaks or she breaks, flick flick the burn the wing away. Until they're all realizing that if they don't move, that stops there, then that wing doesn't move. So you hold them there as long as you can. They've only got a little tension span. Yeah. But I only do that a few times. I think a lot of people overdo that. I think they, um, because it looks great and they've got the, the puppy doing what they want it to do, they carry on doing it. And the Vishla's no fool, you know, they'll soon get bored. Yeah. So you only do that a little limited. And then from then, I just get in the, the recall, the basics, um, but be, be pretty firm with them. Mm -hmm. don't, don't let them take the mickey. Yeah. And then just let them be puppies. And then when they get to maybe four or five months old, I'll start to then get them to change direction to the whistle, uh -huh. yeah. imitate quartering. Uh, and then I'd take the quartering then to the next step when they're a little bit older, just letting them be puppies all the time, you know, um, and then get the quartering into them. Best way I find of doing that is getting them in a in a, a fence field, walking into the wind, casting them out to the left, blowing on the whistle, turning and walking and do everything you know you've got to do everything yourself so you end up quartering yourself yeah yeah um, with them. yeah turn left turn right turn that and and do it every time you turn use the whistle and eventually you don't need to use the whistle you just stop stop using the whistle and they'll instinctively you know do it i mean i get i i started running training weeks up here in february March and April, just to fill in a bit of time mm -hmm. in the close season, whilst you could still get still get on the moor before the grouse start to start to lay. Mm -hmm. And um, I've I've become friends with some of these people that have come up here, but from and I'm, I'm sure they won't mind me saying, and they're, they're still doing it anyway. But I couldn't I couldn't believe the amount of whistles that they had around the neck and i mean kit i've never seen as much kit oh. leads dummies in the backs of trucks oh, i can't they must, they must spend fortunes these people do you just find do you know now when i go out when, when i'm one i take a whistle but if i use it twice in the day in my mind i failed yeah. Right. Uh, it's one thing that people comment on when they come out shooting with me. You know, I just let the dogs go and they hunt uh -huh. and they work, and I don't have to say a word to them. Don't have to do a thing. But I'll have a mm -hmm. I'll have a two ten and a half with me, just because it's around my neck. That's all. 
But I will with the young dogs, obviously, but um, when I get them dogs when I want them to be, then I don't use a whistle. I don't, uh, I don't, I don't have to use a whistle. No, I, I get into it, my whistle out with me. You know, I, I go out and he goes, oh, okay, no whistle today. I don't, I don't wear one all, I don't wear one all the time because they haven't got one on. Um, no. go on. I'm going to take you back to the flirt pole whistle because I didn't want you to think that I was rolling my eyes that you were the flirt pole. <coughs> There are lots of people who are copying, um, you know, trainers like yourself using them. Some really, really good, amazing videos. I mean, there's a fantastic video of a, I think it's a litter of English pointers on using the, 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 the wing on a pole. And it is absolutely stunning. But yeah. then you see people using them and they're waving them around like this for the dogs to chase and let the dogs chase them and actually grab them. And that's what I roll my eyes at because I think, yeah. oh my God, you know, you're just, you're firing yeah. up so much predatory aggression and you're not yeah. getting that. Yeah. Um, there's no pause, you know, they're, they're, they're getting the stalk, yeah. getting the attack, but they're not having that pause before the yeah. flush. And so that's, I look at them and I go, these are causing problems. And then yeah. Yeah. people are watching them and thinking that's how to train. And so then yeah. they go off and do it. And then before you know it, you've got a dog that's destroying, you know, catching rabbits or destroying, you know, attacking squirrels. And so that, that's what I see. And then that's what I have to deal with as a behaviourist as well. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody like yourself using it and developing the dogs, it's just, it's spellbinding. It's the only yeah. way I can describe it. It's absolutely spellbinding to see these little puppies, you know, going on point. Yeah and then stalking yeah. and then pointing yeah um, it's just yeah. it's awesome it's awesome yeah it, it, it's it's just awakening the natural instinct in the dog you know like i said all dogs have come from the wolf you know and it's that natural hunting process that man has taken and developed for his own his own needs the one that gets me, I mean, I've got a, I've got a, a red set, Irish red set. She's a cracking little bitch. Mm -hmm. First one I ever bred. I've never bred one before. I got one given of a very, very um, famous setter man. Um, I got him at eight, eight years old. I was struggling. I was struggling for a dog, and um, it was at that time when Amber had been a pillock, you know, and Guinness was coming to the end, and I needed a another dog. And I got Cory at eight years old. He was what a dog that was. You know, people people used to say he were like a robot because he never put a foot wrong. And I said when I went across on the ferry one January to Ullapool to meet um, to meet you, and he'd come across from um, Bonner Bridge, mm -hmm. and it was an absolute howling of a night. You know, I mean, the ferry probably shouldn't have sailed, mm -hmm. and I'm not the best traveller on a ferry. So I'd gone across on the ferry, got off at Ullapool, spent 20 minutes with, with you. And so I said, well, you know, how do I work him? He says, you don't have to work. Him. Just let him go. He'll work. I said, what, really? He says, yeah. I says, how, how, do you, how do you get him to come back? He said, well, just when he, said, when he sees you, just bow down to him like you would to the Queen. <laughs> and sure enough, you know, first, first month, you know, I kept him with me. I never let him out on the moor. Just huh. kept him with me so we got a, a bond going. And then took him out the first time and let him go. And wow, it just 
I fell in love with Irish setters then, and oh. and then um, how I ended up with the one I have now. When we we got barley from Sky, um, I said we spent a week down there waiting for Barley's father to sire mm-hmm. um, Poppy, and she stood every day, but he wouldn't have any of it. You know, he, he obviously he obviously knew she wasn't ready. Mm-hmm. So, um, I was so frustrated. We'd spent a week down on Sky, you know, a nice little holiday and that, but we came away empty-handed. So I said, we, Jane and I, my wife, we, we decided we'd just buy a dog pup. Mm-hmm. And when he got to two-year-old, we'd use him. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what we did. And um, we've always believed that it's better to have two pups and one pup because they keep themselves occupied and they, they, you know, they're less of a pain in the arse. So I said to, I'd seen this litter of um, Irish set of pups for sale up in um, uh, Thurzle. Mm-hmm. And they were in the Press and Journal, the, the North of Scotland local paper. And um, I said to Jane, I said, I think, I think I'm going to get one. She said, oh, I thought we were stopping. I thought we were just um, sticking with these first. I said, ah, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm, I miss Corey. He was such a good dog. And we only have the one pup. I said, I'll tell you what. I said, I'll, I'll give the person a ring. And if they've got any bitches left and pure red ones, no white on the middle, then I'll take one. Mm-hmm. And I rang up and um, she had two bitches left. That's all. One, one was a small red one with no white on it. Mm-hmm. So ended up getting Pendle. And um, that was the first setter that I'd ever trained. And um, I think... I strongly believe that she has picked up a lot of the Vichler traits okay. into it. They've imprinted into it. So has that made her easier to train? Well, I don't know, because I've, I've never trained one before. Uh-huh. So I've trained her the same way as I would with the Vichlers. Mm-hmm. And um, she's been absolutely fantastic. But, sorry, my point was that with the setters, Going back to what you were saying about um, the the hunt, the point, and the retrieve, mm-hmm. what man did with the setters, and, and I, I might be wrong saying this, but with what I've seen, I think I'm okay, but not all setters set. Mm-hmm. Okay? So you'll get the point, mm-hmm. but not all setters will then set down in the heather. Because they, they kind of just go back on themselves, don't they? So the goal... Yeah, crouch back, don't they? Yeah. Rather than moving forward into the point, they come yeah. back. Away. They'll, they'll, depending on how they've hit a scent cone. If they hit a scent cone full on, uh-huh. they'll drop like a sack of spuds. Okay, they'll bump down, gone down, right? Mm-hmm. So then you know that they've hit the scent cone pretty full on mm-hmm. and they're fairly close to where the birds are. Mm-hmm. And then it'll take a little while while they. You know, I always say to people, watch Pendle, she's a computer's working now. She's taking in all the information mm-hmm. and then she'll decide if she can go a little bit closer to the birds mm-hmm. or if she has to stay where she is. <clears throat> but not all setters will set. They'll point and then some will maybe crouch down lower uh-huh. but to get uh-huh. that fall down in the heather. And, and this, I'm led to believe, and I, and I read it, and I'm sure there's probably point to set them in out there might 
say I'm talking rubbish, but um, some of them are very good friends of mine. It was so that before man hunted with a gun, two guys like we do with two guns on either side of the dog. Yeah. Come with a net. The net, they used to net. net them, didn't they? That's right. Yeah. A weighted net. So they brought it over the back of the dog. They needed to be able to slide the net over the back of the dog. Ah. And so that's why they go down. That's why they sat down. Yeah. Interesting. Because yeah. I knew about the net. I knew that they, they had the weighted net and they would go and they would just cloak yeah. the birds, wouldn't they? Cloak them with yeah. net. Yeah. Um, but I hadn't realised that was the reason for the set. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. I mean, oh. men were so clever hunters, weren't they? With them. Weren't they just? They used yeah. to adapt with it. Yeah, um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I have got some questions on grouse moss because I've never been in a grouse moss, but I just want to for all the dog people, I know what you mean about your setup, picking up the traits of um, the visualize because mm. I've got a cocker and a lab and when my Labrador was a puppy, my Spaniel had to have, he'd bust his leg and he had to be in a crate for 10 weeks. So they were in, silly me, in crates side by side. He used to play yeah. through the crates. And so I've got a 34 kilogram black Labrador who has got a lot of working cocker traits. And he, he just, he behaves like a cocker most of the time. <laughs> but you've got this 34 kilogram Labrador bouncing around your feet like a working cocker. And yeah, yeah. really lethal, you know, it's going to take my knees out. Um, Brilliant. It's, it's good fun actually, he's a good laugh. Uh, uh, Russell, can I ask you about grouse moths? Because it's something that, I've never been grouse shooting. I've mm. got really knackered knees, so it's not something that I'm never likely to do. I'm never likely to go up on, on the heather moors. Um, walking tintor, uh, just getting through the heather on tintor was really, I just couldn't cope with it. But I find the grouse moth and grouse shooting really fascinating. Having never done it, I've done like porridge and pheasant shooting. Yeah. Um, but they the come along in like, like you would call it a volley of partridge, wouldn't it? What do you call them when the, the grouse come along in big? Covet. A covet. A covet. So the, covet. I mean, they the come really low and really fast, don't they? Yeah, it, ca it, catches, it catches a lot of guns out, um, especially guns that have only shot pheasant. Like the high birds. High birds, yeah, yeah, yeah. The grouse, they'll very, very rarely fly above a couple of metres high. They, they hug they hug the contour of the ground, yeah, yeah, for protection. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, the last thing a grouse wants to do is fly, like all game birds. I mean, they rely on the camouflage for, for protection when they're, when they're on the ground. And obviously up here on the island, we've got, you know, quite high densities of golden eagles, sea eagles, uh, hen areas now peregrines so the grouse the last thing he wants to do is fly so when they do get up they're, they're absolutely rapid um, they hug the contour of the ground mm -hmm. and they use the ground very well to their advantage so they'll you know they can quite easily get away and nip over the the top of a knoll and you'll lose your shooting opportunity with them mm -hmm. uh, and is it all the grouse that you shoot? Are, you, are the moors managed the way that, like the pheasant shoots are managed, you know, where they put down birds and manage the landscape? Does that happen with the grouse moors as well, or is it all kind of wild stuff? Yeah, it's all, everything's wild up here, as that we have. It's, you know, we, only, we don't have any pheasant, we don't have any partridge. A couple of estates have tried, but 
they failed miserably, uh, and thankfully they failed miserably. I mean, like, why would you want to come up to the Out Hebrides to shoot a pheasant or a poultry? Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, I couldn't imagine them doing very well with the, the high winds, you know, because the, the, the pheasants don't yeah. like the high winds, do they? So. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's exactly what happened to these pheasants. Um, so, no, I mean, it's, 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 all, it's all wild stuff, snipe, woodcock when they arrive at the end of October. Uh-huh. We get uh-huh. we get a lot of woodcock up here um, because it it's usually you know ninety nine percent of the time it stops pretty mild out here um, and we're probably as far west in the UK I think Ireland's probably further west than we are that that gets uh, it's right on the westerly edge of the woodcock's migratory um, journey so we wow. get a lot of woodcock coming across. Um, the grouse moors up here, it's, they're not managed as such. There's vermin control done, um, you know, for the crows, um, ravens under license, of course. But going back to what I said, most of the estates up here, predominantly fishing estates, then stalking, then shooting. So the shooting, and, and the estates up here, they're not, they're not squatted like they are on the mainland. You know, a lot of these estates are single-handed, Although taking a couple, of, a couple of seasonal workers in and, and such as, so they, they don't really give that um, give that um, concern to the, the managing of the, of the heather. It, it probably wouldn't do it any harm, you know. But we don't we 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 don't have high densities of grouse. We've got you know a lot of grouse. But we don't have the densities for them uh, to drive them. So, you know, for instance, a day out, you'd be probably walking with me. You're probably walking about six or seven miles uh, for a, a day out. And I'm quite strict on my bags, my bag limit. Um, I, As everyone knows me up here, they always take the mickey out of me. But I don't like people shooting the grouse. I, I like to see the dogs working them. I like to see the grouse. I like to see guns missing the grouse cleanly. And I'd rather see a grouse fly away than, than shot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I'm making no bones about that. People, people who come here know that's how I am. Um, so, you know, you go out with a team of four guns, they'll probably, if I shoot five brace for four guns, that's been a good day. Okay. That's nice. That's really nice to hear. Do people bring their own dogs or something? Or is it all your dogs that are worked? Um, I did go through a phase where I took clients with their own dogs. And they were mainly French clients. I took through a French agency um, and they came over. You know, I mean, these people from France, I mean, they're, they're absolutely committed to coming to, to hunt grouse with their own dogs. Mm-hmm. But the problem that I had was that the way that the French hunt to the way that we do it, mm-hmm. theirs is complete anarchy. You know, it's, okay. it's yeah, it's, it's, it's bordering on dangerous. It's bordering on um, the, the grouse aren't getting the respect, in my opinion. You know, they may think they're respecting the grouse who woke up. But the lashing shots off at them at ridiculous ranges when the dogs are running in and chasing the birds. And yeah. so I did that for, I think 
we did two seasons and then I said, no, forget it. So I've stopped taking, I don't take clients now with their own dogs unless I know them and they've been, you know, they've been up here and they do it the way that I wanted them. Uh-huh. Um, but no, I welcome, you know, I welcome people with labs, um, you know, for picking up or, or spaniels. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I don't mind that coming and bringing them along. I, I quite like that actually. Oh, let my dogs do the the hunting and the pointing, and then uh, picking up with the the client's own dogs. Yeah, I like that. Oh, that's oh, yeah. got a nice black lab here. Well, tell you, come <laughs> up, come up. I'll take I you somewhere where you'll you'll manage to walk. I mean, if your knees are as bad as my ankle, then I can do it. You can do it. Okay, we all end up wrecked, don't we? These yeah. across the rough ground all the time. <laughs> yeah, watching across the um across the new forest from the up and down hills and yeah yeah so you stalk as well russell did you do you do the stalking as well yeah i do the stalking i mean it's i i enjoy it you know don't get me wrong but um to be quite honest and blunt that stalking doesn't bring in the amount of money that taking out a shooting party does yeah so what tends to happen is i could have a party of guys or, or, or girls where one or two of them want to go stalking and the rest want to go shooting. So they'll come for five days sport. And and then I've got um, guys who will take them out stalking for me while I do the grouse. Do the grouse, yeah. Um, yeah. I, yeah. Do, I do find the whole stalking thing really fascinating. More what happens when you've got them. Because um, I remember years ago I was getting ready to pick off and one of the old guys was in the, um, you know, in the game room, the cold game room. And there was skinning a deer. Yeah. They got the deer and they, they'd like chopped and tailed it and it was hanging. And I was absolutely fascinated by how he was skinning it because he yeah. was just using, I think it was that knuckle, and he was just working the skin back and forwards like that and lifting it. Yeah. And yeah. I could have stood there all day and just watched this process because I'm really, I teach that in physiology and, yeah. um, you know, finding out from the keeper that he would, they would go in and they would get all the organs out and weigh them because because of it going into the food chain, they yeah. had to examine them, make sure the organs were fine. And yeah. I hadn't appreciated that at all. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I hadn't appreciated that level of um, of of anatomy, anatomy and physiology knowledge yeah. that, that the keepers have. You know, and it completely took my a massive amount of respect for keepers but it took it to a whole new level yeah um and i kept saying to him, i never actually managed it but i kept saying i want to come down i want to see you see like the taking apart of a deer yeah because i had to um i had to dissect a fetal pig as part of one of the degrees that i did and it was fascinating you know what once you got over the smell and and all mm. of that it was um just going oh if i lift if I lift this organ out, oh look, I can see this underneath and see the diaphragm. Yeah. And I just find it really fascinating. Are yeah. you still involved with that side of it when you do the stalking, or not so much? Yeah, I, I obviously twenty odd years as a slaughterman. Um, yeah. I've got, you know, I, I, I think I'm pretty good at dressing <laughs> deer. Um, I've, I've taught a few guys up on the island as well because I, I. The way I've looked at it is I, I've always looked at it from the slaughterhouse point of view where you're dealing with a food product. Yes. 
and be a grouse, a woodcock, a snipe. Yeah. You know, you're, you're dealing with a food product. Yeah. And I've seen guys skinning deer that honestly look like a pack of dogs have been at. Oh, so, no. You know, it, and, and it's just the way they've been shown or not shown. Um, and I've had, had clashes with a couple of uh, assessors about the way deer should be skinned and, you know, best practice and, and all this and all that. And a lot of it is done where, on estates where you can, especially on the mainland and with, with the likes of raw deer um, and the smaller species, you can shoot a deer and then you can more or less get a vehicle to where that beast is. You know? uh -huh. So you're, you're cutting out any element of dragging it. Whereas up here, there's one estate on the island that still uses ponies. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, to, to, they've had to put in, they've had to spend a lot of money putting in pony trails so these ponies could come out into the into the wilderness to be able to get the beast to them. Otherwise, they'd just sink going across the peach, you know. So yeah, they've, yeah. there's only the one estate that, that uses the, the Garrens. Um, most of it is done either quad bike or dragging. So you know, dragging a beast through peat and, and heather, you know, mm. whereby it specifies when you're growling a beast to make a big incision to get the, the stomach out. Mm. I, I go the other way. I make the smallest incision to get the growling out, which then leaves a smaller hole for any chance of contamination getting inside it oh okay. yeah because of the stuff going back in yeah yeah i, I just look at it differently I, I look at it from a different point of view but uh, no i still en i enjoy um skinning deer i still enjoy it I mean, it's i think it's such a fascinating process and in the see somebody skilled to do it it kind yeah, of takes nice away all the squeamishness as well because you just go yeah. oh my god how can he literally end up with just like a complete skin like mm. like a, a rug almost. Yeah. By yeah. using the knuckle on his index finger. Yeah, yeah. It was fascinating. Yeah. Really the, fascinating. The, the the lace, you know, the, as little you can do with a knife, the better. Mm. And it's all it's all about getting inside the right membrane so yeah. that you don't I mean I were taught by an old slaughterman that if if I made a mistake, I'd get a sheep's foot at the back of the head. <laughs> they were watching me all the time and when you're doing a carcass there's different membranes and I'm not blowing my own trumpet but I, I'm more or less 99.9% .9 of the time when I'm skinning something I'll be in the right membrane mm -hmm. whereas a lot of stalkers um, and slaughtermen um, they end up in the wrong membrane and you can see it sticks out like a sore thumb but unless you've got a trained eye you know you won't pick up on it but um, so yeah, it's, it's it's a great art. It's a skill. It really is a skill. I mean, it took me three years for my apprenticeship. I did it the old way. You know, it went the only mechanical things we had were the winches and the, the electric saw. And that was it. Everything else was you know hand and uh, and 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 knife. I think I, cattle as well. Wow, I think it's amazing. I think it's something that. Schools, school children need to be more aware of so that they can appreciate the farmers, you know, appreciate everything that goes into getting the meat into the supermarkets. Because I think um, when I first started picking up, I was quite squeamish, you know. <laughs> I, can, I can remember my first pheasant 
the first time my dog brought me back a runner um and I was a kinesiologist and I can remember holding it and just thinking, oh God, heal or die, heal or die. You know? yeah. <laughs> and one of the old guys came over and says, do you want me to take that leg? And it's like, yeah, and I handed it across like a baby, you know, and, yeah. um, and he took it and he kind of dispatched the person and walked through a ship yeah. head at me. And, and then I learned how to dispatch them. And then I got more into the whole, as my dog's bump, the, the whole circle of life thing, you know, and you really get, even when you start training your dog and you're not really interested in going shooting, but you want to satisfy their intrinsic need from a training yeah. perspective. Um, I think once you get to a certain level of training your dog, you become really fascinated by the whole process of, it's a circle of life, it's a very primal thing to do with your dog, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. To go hunting yeah. with your dog and to be able to provide for your family. And, yeah. and I think we need, more of that like mainstream for people to understand because then there wouldn't be all of the uh, the prejudice against one shooting and hunting and, yeah. Stalking and stuff yeah yeah it's, it's 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 a difficult it really is difficult and i don't know who's the right people to try and get that message across it's no. you know I, I get it all the time people's perception of people that come up shooting you know have plums in the mouth and they're all very very wealthy and Unfortunately, when you get somebody trying to defend it on the radio or on the television, that's that's the sort of image that they're giving out. And, yeah, and it's it's not the case, you know. The people that are into it, um, and that's 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 something I, I must say about the French, where they where we differ from the French, is that the French it's handed down from father to son that. Grandfather, father, son, that passion, mm -hmm. and that um, it's quite plain to see when they come over and they're watching the dogs, mm -hmm. they get more out of it than somebody that's just shot. See, the French, for me, the French are hunters and the Brits are shooters. Yes. Right? So, and, and the, the Americans are as well. I mean, the Americans, exactly, there's a lot of, I, I, I found on Netflix all these hunting channels down in uh, on, on in the states and that and there's there's one on called the Flush and it's uh, bird dogs out down there. Mm. Oh, it's it's cringeworthy television, you know how how they go about things. Mm. What is quite clear is this passing down of the the hunting through the generations and and you see that in the French. And they'll come across here and, you know, if, if they shoot one grouse, it's, they've, it, they've achieved everything they, will, they, they hope to achieve. Mm -hmm. You know, I've guys come across here and shoot a brace of grouse and just want to go out the next day and the next day and not shoot, just watch the dogs. Mm -hmm. I've got some people coming over from Switzerland, hopefully, in, um, in October with, with pointers. And they just want to come over. They don't want to shoot anything. They just want to bring their two pointers over and come out with my dogs and spend three days doing that. That's awesome. And I said, yeah, absolutely fine. If that's what you want to do, that's what we'll do. And, that and sounds great. Is, yeah. So what are your plans for the summer? Because it's the 5th of June at the minute and this podcast is going to go out the beginning of July. Yeah. So is there anything that you want to say to anybody that's coming up, you, you know, August, September, October time? 
Oh, well. want to let us know about that happening so people can get in touch and go, oh, Russell, that sounds awesome. Can you count me in? Yeah. Um, well, the thing is, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping to get away end of July because I go down counting, grouse counting down in Wemmergill um, <laughs> in Durham. Mm-hmm. Of mine, uh, he's, he used to work up here. I've known him many years and he's, he's now a beekeeper in Wemmergill. So I'm hoping... I can do that, and I've been doing these grouse experience days for the um, for a lady that she has wires, wirehead vishlas. Um, so I've been doing did two last year. We we're meant to do three in March, but they were cancelled. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, we're going to try and get a couple done at the end of July. So, and then when I come back to the island, literally, I'm fully booked from the last week in August. Wow. Through, same as last year, Liz. I mean, I sold out last year in April, and same this year. But we don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if people will be allowed to get on on the island. I don't know if I'll be allowed to get off the island. Um, so we're we're just in we're in limbo at the moment. We just don't know what's going to happen. Mm. Um, it is. It's like that, isn't it? Just who knows? Well, I'm looking forward to seeing more of your videos online because although I. I'm not a visual person and I wouldn't have one. I find your videos absolutely fascinating to watch. I, I, I share them with the instructors, you know, and go, yeah. watch this. It's stunning just to yeah. see the, the absolute focus. And, and the, I'm, a real, um, I'm a real proponent of using the gaze with your dog in training and you see yeah. the dogs just, you know, like lasers onto the, onto the game. They really lock onto it. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. I try to recreate with my gun dog training. It's like we need to lock on the the whatever it is we want them to retrieve, and then the dogs will lock yeah. onto it, and then you can send them. And but yeah, it's, yeah. I love your videos; they're fantastic. Yeah. I think what what's what what really is what gets me really excited is watching a group of dogs, all literally, you know, from the same blood, working as a pack. You can see, you can see how a wolf pack would have been. Yeah, you know, back in the day, and to to watch six, seven dogs all. There's one. There's one. I don't know if you've seen it. There's one that a client filmed, and it was a horrible pissing down day. Um, and he filmed it from behind, and I had my hood up. I didn't know he was filming it, but I think all six of them. I don't know if you've seen it. I'll. I'll I'll send it to you for you. And it's like little clockwork, little clockwork animals. Mm-hmm. Stopping, stopping, stop. And what it's doing, we, we never saw it. I couldn't see it, but the grouse had run probably about 200 yards on, it'd be about a four, six gale, absolutely bucketing down. Uh-huh. And these dogs had worked that scent all the way down. Wow. It's, it's it's probably my favourite, apart from the, the first one, uh, I would say it's probably my favourite piece of film to watch. Oh, I do I do find it fascinating, you know, the whole behaviour thing, because my behaviour background, and <coughs> you, you're getting me talking again. So do any of them, because they, they seem to move in like an arrowhead formation almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if you were looking at like a pack attack, for example, where you had wild yeah. dogs or loose dogs or wolves, yeah. you would have that, but then you would have some of them come around the back yeah. and push forward, yeah. you know, and um, 
like if you're out walking your dog and there's a pack of do dogs loose and three or four dogs loose, at least yeah. one of them will come around the back of you yeah. and, and come in from the back. Yeah. And do the do your hunting dogs, you know, do the visualizers ever do that? Do they, do they ever want to go around the back? Do you have to keep them in that arrowhead formation? Or is it just as you're um, developing the stalking and the pointing when they're very, very young that you encourage that arrowhead formation? No, it, 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 that seems to be a natural thing. It seems to be that when the dog that's found the birds, scented the birds, then you get this natural respect from all the other dogs. You know, going back to what I said about Amber, she wouldn't respect any other dog. She had to be in the first. So you've got, you've got them all locked on to the first dog. They'll all be getting a whiff of the scent, mm -hmm. but they're all respected respecting the dog that's found the birds. Oh, um, so I'm just reading a book at the moment. It's a fictional book about a guy that um, is a Royal Marine and he, he's seen a lot of bad things in Afghanistan and his, some of his platoon get killed. His, his mum and his daughter, uh, his mum and his sister get killed and he takes off out to the Out Hebrides to live like Rambo. Uh -huh. There's these two packs of wolves out on the Outer Hebrides, and he's just, it was just last night I was reading, and I thought, Do you know, someone, I'm seeing that in my dogs, and it's just the way that wolves work, right? Mm -hmm. So, as you said, but two of them had peeled off so that when the deer got wind of the, the wolves, mm -hmm. if they ran in that direction, which would, they would do into the wind, mm -hmm. these other two were waiting for them. To push them back. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah. bring them yeah. down if they got the chance. The only the only way the the only time I've I really think I've seen what you're saying is when you work in a, a downwind. Ah. So when you've cast a dog out and it's done a big, big swoop out, uh -huh. and it starts to work back towards you. Uh -huh. You know, you know, so the wind's coming from behind me. Yeah. Yeah, we're walking. In, with the wind behind us, uh -huh. so I, I cast the dog out, and it does a big, big loop, big outrun loop. Yeah, and so then it starts to the wind. Yeah, so I stand still. Uh -huh. Right, so I'm stood still with a guess, mm -hmm. and the dog is then working three, four hundred yards back to me. So if there's a grouse between me and the dog, uh -huh. it'll go on point looking at me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Then I never used to do that. I still don't do it. I only do it with guns that I know will do what I tell them to do. Mm -hmm. So if the dog's pointing back at you, mm -hmm. yeah, <clears throat> normally what I would do, because I grouse up here on the island, sit so tight compared to the mainland, um, you don't get the disturbance up here like you do in a lot of places. Plus, you know, the, the birds are very, they sit very, very tight on the island. It amazes people that come up here how tight they will sit. Mm -hmm. I could then walk a whole shooting party right round the loop and come up behind the dog. Right. I did that one day with 21 people. Good grief. We were out with a shooting party with wives, children, hangers on, you know, and we walked the whole way around and did that. And what a lot of, um, pointer setter handlers will do because they, the grouse won't sit like that is they'll put the guns out either side of them 
-hmm. then they'll walk towards the dog. So the grouse are between you and the dog, uh -huh. dog's facing you. Uh -huh. So you tell the gun they can only shoot to the outsides of the dogs. Okay. You got what I mean, yeah. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're doing it with a into a headwind, your dog's on point, I'll have one gun 10, 15 yards to my left, mm -hmm. one gun 10, 15 yards to my right, mm -hmm. away from me and away from my dog. Mm -hmm. And then we'll walk up to the dog that's on point and we walk in as a line okay flush yeah. yeah so you're doing that in reverse you've got the dog pointing at you this time mm -hmm. but we were walking towards the dog and the guns are told obviously you do not shoot straight ahead no. No. you only shoot out to the left of right, the yeah. right ready for the guys to yeah to break out if they do if they break back over the dogs you don't shoot no no shooting but then when you look behind at the other dogs, then you see that kind of pack formation where they're all anticipating. So you've not got that, you haven't got that arrowhead then. Yeah, it's the awesome no. you're waiting for this dog to push it forward and they're here waiting. Yeah, yeah. so they're waiting to see which way the birds are going to go uh -huh. to get that, uh, yeah, so you've got that. that that's the only time I, I'll, I'll see it really. Okay, because I see I, I have to, you know, because it's my job, I have to watch a lot of aggressive dogs and a lot of videos yeah. of aggressive dogs and pack attacks. And you see it over and over again, where if, if a pack is coming at you, so say, for example, there's a fantastic video we use in one of the courses. And I think she's a Romanian woman and she's walking along, she's got a handbag and there's a pack of street dogs come after her. And right. she starts, you know, shrieking, the dogs are after the bag. And um, three dogs come at her from the front. And when she's like this, waving her bag at them, two of them go around and grab her from behind. And you see oh, it, yeah, you know, yeah, over yeah. and over again. Yeah. And that classic divide and conquer, really, isn't it? You know, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Coming at both ends. Yeah. Um, right. Russell, I could talk to you all day, honestly. I know. <laughs> it's really difficult. So can I just ask you for anybody who's interested in learning more about scenting, because you were talking about scent corn and, um, you, you know, how they, they go back and forwards over the scent trail. Yeah. If people are interested in learning more about that, can you recommend any books? And I'll put them up on the link underneath this. <sighs> or any um, videos to watch or, you know, because it's such a fast, the dog's scenting mechanism, which yeah. I about, is just such a fascinating process. But to understand how they work with the wind as well. And yeah. I, think, I think I saw, I mean, I, the two books I use, I mean, I, I've, I've always trained my dogs down the point to set a route. And I think the problem with HPR people is they go, when they get an HPR breed, they go straight to the retrieve. Right. right. And I think that's the worst thing you can possibly do oh, with oh, HPR. Really? Yeah. yeah so you would never go retrieve? retrieve no, 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 no. I no, always no. do that. Okay, so you wouldn't, no. so if, you were, if you're looking to work your dogs on point, you yeah. wouldn't do the retrieve bit. Okay. I've, do you know something else? I have never trained a dog to retrieve. They've done it instinctively, all naturally. The only dog, the only dog I trained to retrieve were Guinness, the original the, the lab pointer. Right. And she taught Amber. Amber taught Poppy and Copper. Okay. And it's just passed through them like that. And I think people with HPRs are getting stuck in this retrieve because a lot of them... I would say 99% of them are used on 
shoots for picking up yes painting yes so that's i think that's where they get the the, the problems from okay because i know people who have got hprs and they haven't taught the retrieve they've let the dog hunt free yeah. and, and again i think it comes back down to having boundaries and not letting the dogs do what they want to do and so, yeah. so the dogs that i see the hprs that i've seen have done a lot of free hunting a lot of wild hunting yeah. no boundaries at home yeah then the one that teach the dog to retrieve and the dog goes you're kidding on you i'd much rather stay over here and hunt yeah yeah yeah, yeah. they can't get yeah. the dogs to retrieve then you no, that's that's gone the other way, hasn't it? That, it goes too far the other way yeah, with a yeah, lot of yeah, the pet homes yeah. that I work with. You know, yeah. so I always like um for you know, dogs in the pet home that they want to learn to retrieve, then I always start with the retrieve first. Because yeah. you know for a fact come six months they're gonna start free hunting them on walks. Yeah. If they yeah. haven't got the retrieve at that point, they're not gonna get it, or they're gonna struggle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it, that's the same with people I get coming here. Um, wanting to run the dogs on grouse. Uh -huh. they, all they ever done is work them on pheasant or partridge. So when we try and get them to, to run on the moor, uh -huh. they're running with the nose glued to the ground. Uh -huh. they're, they're trying to follow foot scent. Yes. Whereas with pointers and setters, it's all done on air scent. It's air scenting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So you're trying to, you're trying to get a dog that all its life runs with its nose stuck to the ground. Mm -hmm. To lift its head and use its use its nose to work the wind. And, and, that's that's pretty yeah. difficult to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I taught two two years ago. I had a, um, a Swedish lady and her husband came up. They, I think they were both lawyers down in London. Uh -huh. They had these two um, pointers, English pointers, and the only exercise the dog, these dogs got were walking around Regency Park or whatever it was. Okay. and she came up and said yeah come up we'll see what we can do <clears throat> and it, it worked out that a, a father back in sweden he had hunting english pointers and he used to go out hunting ptarmigan and willow grouse whatever <clears throat> and she bought these two from a show um a show breeder and apparently she told me and i have no reason to doubt it they were very very good show pedigrees and they just look, you know, see the ones in Crufts, these really big leggy ones with a, they, should, they just look like they should, that. They should yeah, they should, yeah, exact. And um, she wanted to see if they could do anything on the moor, right? And the first two days, it was just like, oh, what am I doing? You know, I mean, these things were just <laughs> like Scooby-Doo running around. And eventually, by purely bringing them in at the back of mine, uh -huh. this, is, this is what I do on these grouse experience days. Right. So you're bringing the dogs in behind yours and they're starting to get the scent of the grouse, right? It awakens somewhere back deep down in that dog's psyche. The brain, yeah. It thinks, hey, hold on a minute. No, I, I remember this. This is something that I should be doing. Yeah. And at the end of the week, I had the younger of the two pointers running and quartering finding and just before we got back to the car it found a grouse it was absolutely fantastic and then not only that but the bigger dog that I'd, I'd, I'd more or less given up on it backed the first dog wow and then you'd six of my dogs back in these two pointers oh, it was amazing to see it really was and uh, 
Yeah, but I, I, I say I just think that people spend too much time on, on retrieving and not enough time on what these dogs are, are meant to yeah. do. I think I think it comes down to if you. I mean, it's probably. I'm probably going to get hissed at now, but I think you have to work out what you want to do with your dog and get the breed accordingly. So yeah. if you want a dog for picking up, then you need to go for a dog that will retrieve or that has been bred to retrieve. Yeah. And if you want to go and work the grouse moors and do lots of stalking and pointing, then you need to go for those kind of breeds. Um, I think people are too quick to go to follow fashion. You yeah. know, when I first started in gun dogs, it was... The fashion was a black Labrador, green wellies, and a four by four. You know, that was yeah. the thing. It was like everyone wanted yeah. a black lab. Yeah. Um, and I think visualizers are now the trendy dog to have. Yeah. And people are getting them yeah. in build up areas. Yeah. And they've got so, no idea so. what the dog is needing yeah. to lead a satisfied life, to lead a contented yeah. life. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's affecting the way the dog's starting to look as well. Seeing that, you know, when you look back through some of the old books and see some of the, the dogs from the, the 50s and the 60s. Um, really you know, that's to what they're now. I mean, I've, I've had, just in the space of the last three three weeks, I've had three messages about using one of my dogs. You know, it, it, it's it's a sad place we're in at the moment with a breed. It really is. And, and I don't, unless something else comes along to take its place, you know, I don't know where we're going to go with it. No, I mean, you just need to pray that your breed, your breed of choice doesn't become fashionable because when well, it's fashionable, it's too late, Les. I think we, we went first time I ever went to Schoon, one and only times I've been to Schoon Game Fair was I don't know, four years, five years ago. Mm-hmm. And it, mm-hmm. it, it, it was a year after that that dog won best in show at Crufts, yeah, yeah, right. And there, were, there must have been six, seven, eight, easily, Vichlers at the at the game fair. Normally, Spaniels or Labs being dragged around from yeah, leaders, yeah. yeah. And, and, and that were, you know, couldn't believe it, couldn't believe it. And then, to cap it all, I was out walking up the back, up the moor up the back of the house one day, uh, doing my normal daily walk where I go with the dogs. And I see this guy coming running down the track with a dog. And I was thinking, that, that looks like a Vichler does that. I mean, because at that time, I mean, I, I was the first person on the island to have one. Uh-huh. Um, when I bred my litter, um, another guy, he kept one. So he, he, he had one. And now I, I wouldn't like to guess how many are on the island. Not come off mine. You know, they've just mm-hmm. bought them and come... And this guy came running down the track with this Vishla. And I didn't know the guy. He, um, I'd seen him about. And we got chatting. And it turned out that this dog was a pup off that um, yogi that won, won Crufts. Mm. And God knows how many dogs that's gone on to say since, since doing that. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just gone crazy. Even up here now, there's probably... There'll probably be another six or seven on the island, yeah. which don't yeah. sound a lot, but when you think back, you know, the, the, I was the only person that had them up here. Mm. Um, it is, it is. fashion's a terrible yeah. thing when yeah. the black cocker, you know, when Prince William got his black cocker, yeah. um, 
the amount of black cock as me and also my colleagues were seeing for aggression because they became fashionable. Breeders were just knocking out black cockers and they weren't the best temperament ones to breed from. And we were seeing a lot of cockers being very, very aggressive to the owners. And it is. And I used to work with Beagle Rescue years ago um, yeah. after the Disney film Cats and Dogs came out. Yeah. And Beagles, Beagle Rescue was completely overrun with, with Beagles once they got to a certain age and started doing the yodeling and the hunting. Yeah. And, and I worked with Beagle Rescue for a long time. And they were just, every time a Disney movie came out, they would hold their heads in despair hoping yeah, we weren't yeah, using yeah. another beagle yeah, because yeah. it became fashionable and then um they'd be discarded when they hit adolescence or they'd be yeah. you, you know permanently on lead or yeah not yeah, not good yeah. well yeah. i hope the visual hurries up and gets out of being the fashionable dog i hope, oh. I hope the public move on to something else it's um yeah, yeah, not I good know. having a gun dog as a fashionable dog because then no. they're designed not to work no, no, no. And it seems, it, it seems as well, I mean, I'm probably out of order to say, it just seems to be the south of England as well that there seems to be a lot of these dogs. Um, and, and whether it's because of, there's, there's a lot more driven shoots down there that people are wanting something different to go in the beating line or pick up with. Uh, and and there's more money down there as well, you know. Yeah. It's a very, yeah, yeah. very rich... Um, affluent area as well it's like it's, it's like i say less to people you know i mean it, it i've done what i have with the breed up here i'm so fortunate and i tell people you know my i'm I, my dogs 365 days a year come into contact with game yeah you know, be it grouse when the woodcock are here you know it's so you know when i go out working and my dogs are 400 yards away on point uh-huh but I don't want to go and get them. You know, we're going back to the car or, or whatever. I, I'll whistle them off the point. Uh-huh. I'll, just, I'll just whistle them up. or Two fingers in my mouth, whistle them up. And they'll just come off the point. They won't flush. They'll just come off the point. Mm-hmm. And people say to me, oh, God, does that not ruin them? So, well, no, it doesn't ruin them because they're getting exposure to that every mm-hmm. single day of their life. You know, yeah. Don't you ever do that with, with your dog. You know, don't ever try that if you've got a, an HPR uh, and you're working it and it's pointing, always on at a point. But I can do it because my dogs, it's just common nature to them. You know? yeah. and, uh, and that's, I think people have, are getting them for the wrong, I don't know, I don't know. We better not say too much. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it's not everybody, you know. I mean, some, there's some great, great people out there. You know, one of the second instructors, yeah. Hannah Spearman, I believe you met Hannah at one yeah. of the service stations when she was on her way to Scotland. And she's got cracking vision and she works them and she, com- she competes them as well. And um, she brought one over from Hungary. She brought a couple right. over from Hungary, you know, to yeah. get back to really, really good... Uh, solid hunting lines and yeah. um, and I think there's some fantastic trainers and owners not yeah. not necessarily yeah. trainers but owners who've got some yeah. really good uh, ways with their visualizers but then you've got townies dare I say it you, yeah. you know people who are living in built up areas and they've got them and they just don't know they don't understand or they don't appreciate what they've brought home yeah. what and, was that girl's name Les? 
who I've just mentioned, Hannah, Hannah Spearman, Rebel Ritzy. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think she's, yeah, yeah, she's, she's been in touch. Yeah, I, I know you met her on the way to one of the courses you've met, bumped into each yeah. other. In so, Retina Services, that was it. Yeah. That's it. yeah so Hannah's the... done really well. She brought a dog over last year. Yeah. Retrained it, you know, because she brought it over, I think it was six months when she brought it over from Hungary. Spent right. Training it her way, our way. Yeah. And, um, she then competed at last year and she's done amazing with it. Run where, where is she Where is she based? Whereabouts was she? Kent. She's down in Kent. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And I know she follows you. She thinks you're amazing. Which is, is it? Is that, does she have wires or smooth? Smooth. Oh, excellent. Good stuff. I think she's got eight of them. She's got like loads of them. Overrun with visualize. She's yeah, yeah, so yeah. passionate about them. Yeah. Wait till she gets 11 like I have. No, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> or ten, ten and a, ten. Your door when you're breeding again. <laughs> ten and a set. Yeah, yeah. and, and spindles. And um, Russell, it's been amazing talking to you. I can't believe the time has just like gone. Yeah, we'll have to do it again sometime. We will. It's been amazing. And um, if ever I get to the point where I want to jump on that ferry and come across, I'll come up. Honestly, you should. I mean, it's it's up here. It, it's um. For anybody that's into, you know, wildlife or it, it's a real mecca for, for um, if you like watching running dogs, you know, pointing dogs and that. And sadly, I mean, I've, I've offered, I've offered ground to the, the Visual Society to come up and hold um, field trials and that up here. But obviously it's just too far for people to come. But if, you, if you're, you know, committed to making the effort. Uh -huh. You won't be disappointed. You really won't. Yeah. I'll talk to Hannah. I'll say, Hannah, you've got to listen to me. You've got to watch yeah. me. Yeah, get yourself up. Yeah, Russell, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so yes. much. You're welcome. For joining me. And um, I'm going to stop recording now and then I'll say goodbye to you properly once I've okay, So thank you very much. And You're welcome. I'll talk with you again soon. All right. Okay. Take care.